With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hey, everybody. Danny here. I know we don't usually start our podcast this way, but. This week, we decided to start things on a very serious tone with the continued racial tension and protests going on in the United States and across the world as a whole. We know this isn't for everybody, but we felt like it was a topic that couldn't be ignored. So if you want to fast forward through it, feel free to do that. We also talk about the upcoming restart in Italy, and we also answer your Twitter questions as always. But like we said, we felt like we should put this out front and into the open and let the discussion go where it may. So thank you once again for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to episode five of the Old Lady Speaks on black and white and red all over. This is your host, Danny, coming to you on the first day of June. And it's an interesting time, to say the least, episode five here, the Jonathan Zabina episode, if we want to go with our jersey number themes. Oh, I'm joined God, by was the- Was he really the last one to wear it? No, not the last one, but <laughs> as Chuck knows from our blog history, he might be the most memorable one to wear it. <laughs> <laughs> certainly <laughs> speaking of which you've already heard two of the three other guys i'm on here with uh sam hello sam hey how's it going guys we've got chucks hello chucks a very good evening and we've got the driver of the raul jimenez to juventus bus sergio romero hello sergio hey fellas how's everyone doing 
We will start off this podcast with what a lot of sports podcasts are talking these days, and it's not necessarily sports. That is the ongoing protest going on, not just in the United States, but around the world now. As I was going to bed last night, New Zealand, of all places, was protesting for Black Lives Matter. And earlier today, on the day we're recording, Juventus captain Giorgio Chiellini was the most notable Juventus player to speak out, posting a very very heartfelt message on his social media platforms. All four of us live in very different places around both the United States and in Sergio's case in Mexico. We are lucky enough to have different kinds of cultural backgrounds here on this podcast with Chuck's coming from Europe and now living in the United States and then obviously Sergio living in Central America. Sam is in New Jersey. I am born and raised in California and now live in Oregon. So we are about as spread out as spread out can be. But I don't really have a question to throw out there for you guys to start things out. I just kind of feel like it's necessary for us to really just kind of talk about it, especially knowing, as we said before we hit record here, that we root for a team that plays in a country that has very racially charged history and has had some players, most notably Blaise Matuidi and Moise Keen, be racially abused in fairly recent times. So whoever wants to take things first, go ahead. This is obviously a very heavy subject, and we'll try to be honest and upfront with everybody because I feel like that's what's, what's needed right now. Well, I'll, I'll do the honors uh, for this one then. Of course, the events regarding George Floyd and then the subsequent statements, I guess, in sports, in the world of sports, in all sports, actually, you know, tennis, football, of course, now, and in basketball as well. Many, many basketball players talking about that as well. You know, I'm just reminded again of the, I forget if it was Cesar Luis Menotti or Eduardo Galeano that spoke on this, probably both, but, you know, just reminding me, reminding us really how the problems of society manifest themselves within sport and you know sport becomes kind of a mirror of society i think it was duram actually that said that in actually that documentary the uh, le bleu documentary it may not have been duram but it was in that documentary how yeah football becomes you know a mirror for society and all sport becomes a mirror for society of course i mean you know i think obviously we do have to address this issue given just how much it has been spoken about in the world of sports but it's difficult for me it's difficult to really to address it because it it makes us think about okay what is the role of sport in society and what is the positive role of sport within society in helping fix certain issues so for instance now we have racism here outside of sport but then how could we use in this case football to solve racism to to fight it and to do so positively in a way that isn't too part partisan or political well politically you know partisan but still addresses the issue and i mean i don't really know i don't know how you do that but i think just these events of the last few days of the last well i suppose week it's been the key question that stands out to me is okay what is the role of sport within the within society uh both politically socially and even to some degree economically and that's a question i'm just not i i don't really know it's it's difficult and you know we can obviously have a small discussion on that i'm glad on any glad to hear any input on that of what you guys think i just want to mention that chucks when moise keen was 
racially abused about 13, 14 months ago. Trucks wrote a really good post for our site about the ongoing problem of racism in football. And obviously there's a lot more to the issue than we're going to get in here. And, you know, as a white man, I don't want to be preaching from a soapbox or anything like that. But if you haven't had a chance to read it, I'm going to link it in the post that this podcast comes with on our site. Just when I read it as as the editor, it just it just made me think. And you know, Chucks is definitely one of the <laughs> one of the the people that I respect most his opinion on these kinds of things. So you know, it's it's a really well thought out piece, even though it, it happened over a year ago now. It's definitely must must read when it comes to just a small piece of this very 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 complicated and long standing issue. Yeah, thanks for, uh, yeah, I, you know, I was thinking of that actually uh, earlier today, but then uh, slipped my mind now. And then of course, uh, yeah, thanks for reminding me of that article. And yeah, I mean, in that article, basically, I just wrote about one key point that I remembered of another writer, I think his name was uh, Zite Unwosu, which sounds actually quite Nigerian. <laughs> but he pointed out something which was, I mean, absolutely spot on, which was basically the issue of pundits how the language they use to describe and discuss black players is very it's very patterned and unfortunately it's a very negative pattern so they'll use words like they'll 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 talk about it in, in terms of their physique so they'll say pace and power strength and agility and then other players will talk about you know their vision their intelligence their tactical understanding of the game and so on so you know it's it was this pattern of like, you know, if we want to respect black players and other players of color, speaking speaking about them not in a way that reduces them to their physical attributes, but actually considers and really sees them as full human beings with with their full intelligence, you know, understanding of something, interpretation, which, you know, to just put a bit quick plug for the uh, great Cesar Luis Menotti quote, footballers are the privileged interpreters of the feelings and dreams of thousands of people, which is really just one of my favorite quotes ever in football, in football and, out, and outside of football, frankly. And, you know, actually to then come back to my own question, then, you know, what is the role of football then within society? It's, it is maybe to give voice to the more difficult and intangible issues within society, like, racism like social conflict like political conflict in society and to give voice to that in a, in a positive way and to i guess moderate the, or to start and moderate a discussion about that through i mean goal celebrations or just through interviews or whatever form or whatever ways you want to have or or certain teams being represented by you know certain teams maybe being founded by immigrants from certain countries or people of color or, or what have you and then giving more, giving more attention to those kinds of clubs and giving more voice to them. So uh, maybe that's kind of an answer to my own question there. <laughs> to, to talk about what you were saying in terms of, of the, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Giving players their, giving players their, their ability to, to talk about this. I'm, you know, I'm remembered after, uh, you know, I've been looking at athletes as they've responded. And I, I recall back to uh, the days of the the protests over what happened in Ferguson, Missouri, several years ago when, you know, LeBron James spoke and a conservative commentator 
responded with the line, shut up and dribble. Agency. That's the word I was looking for there, agency. These players have the agency to to speak because we too often think of athletes as commodities and not as humans, especially in soccer because people are being bought and sold for a price. Like the, the, the rights to have this person play is, you know, 40 million euros. Okay, he's yours, which can be really disturbing when you think about this, about scenarios like this sometimes. I, I just, you know, I, I think of, of not only black athletes, but black people that in a situation like this, they need to be listened to. You know, I come from an acting background. I a, a very, very good playwright and dear friend who's black has written several plays connected to issues like this, several of which I've been a part of. And that's one of the things that always comes to to mind when I think of these back on these incidents in these plays. And even when it comes to incidents like what happened with Moise Kane in, in Cagliari last year, they weren't listened to. And that I think is, is one of the biggest things that we need to do as a whole society, regardless of what your ethnicity is, is not, but particularly for white people like Danny and myself, it's time for us to shut up and it's time for us to start to listen. I think that's, that's step one. It's a very rudimentary and first step, but it's the step that's got to be taken. Yeah. Yeah, I guess just but we, but we don't want you to shut up on this podcast. Let's just say that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Sergio. Yeah, I guess just to like round up a little bit, as you mentioned, uh, Chuck's piece at the time, which is really good. Also, I think there's a piece called When the Beautiful Game Turns Ugly. You can look it up on Google. It was written by Wright Thompson, who was one of my favorite writers. That was an I ESPN really, piece, right? Yeah, it was an ESPN piece. Also, Any, Anything I, by Wright Thompson. Anything by Ray Thompson. Yeah, he's a great writer. And that's just a great piece that really talks about some of the, the issues we're talking about, you know, racist incidents in Syria, you know, which have been going on for, I mean, I don't know how long, probably as long as Syria has existed. And yeah, just, you know, to kind of like echo a little bit of what you guys said, it's, you know, at some point it's just time to to listen, to really understand what is happening. And, you know, if you can help in any way, shape or form, you know, help. And yeah, I guess it's just um, a tough piece, a tough moment when you really realize, well, you know, sports are not the end all be all of anything really. So yeah, just, you know, major, major shout out to all the athletes who are using their platform for, for good, you know, that are trying to, to improve the world in any way, shape, or form. And, you know, just try to do the same thing. You know, I, I guess just that's, that has to be our job as individuals, you know, just try to, try to do the best we can in this type of situations. And just to any of our listeners who are out there, if you're in the protest or if you're not or, or whatever, you know, just stay safe. And, and yeah, just, I guess, stay safe. That's most, that's, as much as you can say right now from where I'm standing. You know, of course, like Sergio said, I, you know, applaud athletes that do speak up about this, but I do want to stress that, you know, it doesn't end there. Fair enough. Social media posts, hashtags, messages on 
whatever type of uh, platform you want to do, you know, that's all well and good. But at the end of the day, something that the city councilman, one of the city council members in my city here said, like, you know, at the end of the day, okay, these protests will eventually end and we'll eventually all move on. But certain laws will still be in place that will still cause the, the perpetuation and the repeating of such events. So, you know, speaking about this and sharing all these messages, fair enough, that is one thing. But, it, you know, at the end of the day, the laws, the legislation, the money, like these things do have to eventually kind of to happen. So I am glad for athletes for, you know, for speaking out about that. But I do hope that it doesn't just end with words and that it, at the end of the day, unfortunately, finances and law, money and law, I mean, frankly, that's going to change things. So funding for organizations that fight not just racism, but, you know, other other problems and in society and within football, at the end of the day, that's going to change these things. And also just end on that, to share a quote by, again, my favorite writer, Eduardo Galeano, who said, I hope I get this right, to the top of my head, he said, violence doesn't originate in football any more than tears fl- flow from a handkerchief. So I thought that was a beautiful way of uh, talking about the relationship between football and society. To see it go worldwide. And I mean, if you know, three out of the four of us live in the United States, obviously Chuck's hasn't lived here his whole life, but he's still lived here a good amount of time to, I'm sure, get a sense of what the issues in this country truly are, because he's a very smart man. You know, to see it go worldwide and see it with this kind of passion through all races, you know, it's not just black people protesting, it's white people showing their support for black people, for people of color. I come from a very diverse city and in, in Oakland, California. And, you know, I don't want to be that guy who said, you know, I, I grew up with black people or Mexican people, but I went to a very diverse high school. I went to a very diverse soccer club where I grew up and, you know, we had people from all walks of life and, you know, it, it helps you shape uh, an identity in terms of you don't see people through color you just see them as people and you know I, I've, I've talked with my my mom about this who was growing up and she went to uc berkeley in the 70s where they were just obviously one of the hubs for protests in the in the country amongst college students so it's it's something that you know i very much respect what people are doing right now and very much support even though you know i might not be necessarily living in a place now where there's a whole lot of diversity. So, you know, I I posted on our Twitter account earlier that I want to see more people like Chiellini using their platform for good rather than say just than just plugging their brand. And, you know, like Chuck said, it's, it's not going to be the game changer in terms of, you know, you posting on Instagram or anything, but it's a start and more people, with their hundreds of thousands or millions of followers can, you know, start change. And I think change is what is driving, or I don't think, I know change is driving what all these protests are about. And whether it's a professional athlete or it's, you know, somebody in the front office of a club or whatever, you know, if you can start and impact that change, you're doing something right because things obviously need to change right now. And I'm saying that as 
you know, a white man sitting in his home in Oregon where, you know, there's not many issues that we have right now other than a virus. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully some good can come out of all this because, I mean, our country and, and the world at whole, they, they need it. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And now for something completely different. <laughs> Transition. First day of June also brought some major news for us in terms of what we will actually see on the field, and that is a schedule. So if you are hoping that our blog goes from feature after feature after feature to game coverage 24-7, you are in luck because once Juventus get on the field after they resume the second leg of the Coppa Italia semifinals against AC Milan, things are basically not going to stop until, oh, maybe August. August uh, 2nd, to be precise. August 2nd, to be precise. Uh, we got most of the schedule. I believe they're still TBD on the last three rounds of league play. But seeing as we're in the Juventus covering business, are you guys ready to basically have your foot on the gas for the next <laughs> two and a half months? I've already put in for a keyboard replacement at Apple. It will cost me my firstborn, but... Um... It'll, uh, you know, it's, it's probably a good idea to have it in reserve. Everything at Apple costs you a, a mortgage and a half, but I digress. <laughs> it is fantastic Spe- speaking from after, a man who has a mortgage, I can confirm that. It is fantastic that after having no sports for months, now it's like, here's all the sports immediately. Like, here you go. You wanted it, now choke on it. You wanted sports, now you're going to smoke a whole pack of sports. So... It should be fun, though. I mean, it should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. It is kind of funny that the first game back is a semifinal second leg. That's, that's kind of an easy, easy way to let the boys back into it with a second just, leg just, semifinal. Just, just, e- just well, ease back into it. Yeah. Exactly. I, I understand the, the, the commercial implications of it, I understand, because the Coppa Italia is broadcast by Rai. So... Basically, this is kind of a symbolic gesture so that the entire country, regardless of whether or not you have the, the pay packages for Serie A, can watch the first games of the restart without any you know, special subscriptions. It's slightly PR, slightly morale booster. I kind of like it, actually, in that regard, <laughs> uh, to be totally honest. But it is certainly going to be weird realizing after two months that there's going to be you know, a spot in the final on the line immediately. So you are right in that regard. Yeah, and I mean, it's a game essentially every three days on average, uh, now that I'm looking at it, which is, I mean, relentless stuff. And, you know, I was just comparing it to the Bundesliga uh, schedule. And, I mean, of course, they have, what is it, four matches less than Serie A does, given that they have a, a smaller league. But, you know, I just looked at their schedule, and they still they were still able to comfortably just fit in, you know, one game a week, uh, just on the weekends and stuff. And I'm seeing one midweek match day. So, well, they got off uh, 
they got it very comfortably there. And just on that, kind of a side note there, I was reading an article the other day that said people don't realize that Bundesliga is going to finish, if all things go well, Saturday, June 27th. And I don't believe that the Champions League is going to start before then. So you're going to have Bayern München essentially have won the title and then just, you know, twiddling their thumbs while, while they wait for the Champions League to resume, which is really, I mean, given the form they're on now, well, that's going to be a, a little bit of an imbalance there. So curious to see how that pans out. Yeah, they're going to have, I think, I believe, a, a month off between their final Bundesliga game and then the start of Champions League if that does come around. So, I mean, it's it's crazy how Italy and England and Spain will pretty much roll right into the Champions League, and then you've got Germany where, I mean, the way they're playing, Bayern is clearly one of the favorites to win it. And they're just going to be kind of, as you said, twiddling their thumbs and just... To say nothing of the French teams. Yeah. And I mean, they're... they're... Will be playing their first competitive games <laughs> if the, once the Champions League comes yeah. back. I mean, if we think Copa Italia is crazy, just think how, you know, PSG might think, but... <laughs> oh, and the French... Or, uh, or, or uh, Lyon. Lyon. Yeah. That, 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 Somebody connected with Leon, I think it was their chief medic or something like that, was saying that he was really hoping that we would lose the title to Lazio and be really dejected, but because considering the, phys- the gulf in physical fitness between us and them by that point, he thinks it's the only way Leon would be able to get out of the tie with a win. And, and it's always really interesting because, you know, back in the days when the – Champions League qualifying stages were bigger and there were Italian teams in them. That was always one of the that was always one of the issues for Italian clubs is that they were playing teams in that final playoff round that had already been playing for four weeks, three, four weeks, and they would always lose. <laughs> and now that might get reversed if the Champions League does indeed resume in August. So speaking of which, we had a Twitter question we weren't able to get to last week, and I think it it really kind of plays into what we're talking about now is just kind of the expectation level and what the goal really should be knowing that this is such a once in a, however many decades kind of scenario where it's city off for two months and change. And then all of a sudden it's Europe, but you've got a Europe coming after playing essentially a third of your schedule in a time frame where we've never really seen it before. So I guess I'll put it out to you guys. Do you think the onus should be more on progressively ramping up to Champions League or should Mauricio Sarri be like, all right, we're just going to take this really as a focus on domestic stuff as the goal and we'll worry about Champions League once once we get there? I think it's a great question just because the Champions League in a regular normal year is so many times such a crapshoot. You need so much luck to when to actually win the trophy as we have unfortunately seen as Juventus fans time and time again you know it's not that just just that you're a good team is that you hit uh, your peak at the right moment is that you don't have any injuries is that you don't have any suspensions the best team in the round of 16 or in the quarterfinals is not always a team that makes the finals because God knows what can happen in the in the interim. Is you know as it is with these knockout tournaments, you depend a lot on luck. And now with the current situation, in which, as we said, all the teams are going to be coming with differing levels of 
fitness with different levels in form. It's going to be such a really, really hard Champions League to predict. I mean, is Bayern Munich, like we said, is it going to be good for them that they're, that's really the only tournament they're going to be playing? They're going to be arrested. They're not really going to have any domestic competitions to really care about. Is that going to be good or are they going to be rusty by the time they actually get to play? Are they going to miss that form? Who knows? I mean, there's no real way of knowing that. So if you're Juventus, how do you even prepare for that? I mean, you're talking about coming back, playing one game, one game when you are actually at a disadvantage, you know, in the, in the actual score against Leon. What happens if you just come out flat? As we have seen this Juventus team do time and time again, that's it. You just had that one game and you came out flat and you lost and that's it. So you cannot, as much as we would like it to be, because for a lot of Juve fans, I know that sometimes it feels like the Champions League is the end-all be-all of the season. I think this year you just have to hope and pray and be like, okay, well, I hope that we can go out and beat Leon and actually progress through the quarterfinals but if you don't I, I don't even think that you could really be that angry about it I mean it's just going to be such a crapshoot I think if you are Juventus as much as it hurts to say you have to really be thinking more about the league where you have more games where it's actually not going to be a winner takes all type of competition than the Champions League at this point but yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how they approach it. I would think they are going to, you know, really try to win that Leon game. But if they don't, I mean, that's it. That's the season. To add on to that, here's also a kind of interesting perspective on that question. Namely, the fact that we don't even know when the Champions League is going to begin. Resume, rather. We don't even know uh, when that's going to happen. So... I'm reading an article here that says that UEFA set to stage a meeting on June 17th in order to try and work out a plan to finish the Champions League and Europa League. So, you know, that's only in the middle of this month will they hopefully hopefully have a plan on when that's even going to be, when those leagues are going to be uh, resuming, or those competitions are going to be resuming. President uh, Alexander Sefarin uh, says, and I'm reading from the article here, he has reiterated that he wants the European seasons to be finished by August, with leagues planning to resume for the 20 or return for the 2020 2021 campaign in September. But so the thing is, here's the way I'm looking at it I'm going to gamble that the Champions League is not going to begin before the last week of June. That's a generous gamble, I think. So if we have, let's say last week, well, let's say first week of July, like the Champions League resuming. So which leagues, to me, the question is then which leagues are going to be, first of all, completed by then and which ones aren't. So I'm thinking that the Bundesliga is basically going to be done by then. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, um, much, pretty much all of them except, I mean, pretty much all of them will still be playing except for Bundesliga. Yeah, yeah. From what I understand, though, sorry, checks, but from what I understand, UEFA had previously pretty much been set on letting all of the leagues finish by the first week of August and then dealing with the Champions League after it's over. Yeah, I mean, if that's true, then they're going back and forth on their own words or flip-flopping on their own words, which, well, wouldn't be a surprise, obviously, but, <laughs> um, but or it wouldn't be the first anyway. Frankly, I think that's just completely impractical to do that because if you're going to do 
if you're gonna you know finish the league seasons by August and you know they're saying they want the next season to start in September I mean where's the where's the rest where's the preseason where's all of that and this is something I was thinking about today as well people are forgetting some pretty important important factors here with regards to the logistics and the schedule which is well first of all which is slightly less importantly but first of all there is next summer the Tokyo Olympics and the Euro 20 well Euro 2021 competition which will both be in the summer and most importantly we have the Qatar 2022 World Cup that's going to be in the winter so the World Cup the 2022 World Cup was already going to provide some logistical <laughs> roller coasters for uh, not just European schedules but global footballing schedules because i mean it's going to be in the middle of the the seasons of well of regular seasons i know brazilian and mls calendars run differently and the canadian league which is recently opened so my question i guess really is going to be with respect to those competitions especially the world cup i mean are they going to plan to still interrupt the season for like the 20 will that be the 2021 22 season you know do we still want to interrupt those seasons and afford the competitions or given that you know coronavirus has completely messed up the schedules could they maybe plan it in such a way that the season would end before the world cup and then have the world cup and then go on preseason and then you know start next i don't know but basically you know my question to kind of bring it back to what Sergio was saying is I think the priorities for Juventus are to me are kind of determined on how many games of the league season will we have left by the time the Champions League starts. I think that's really a big determinant because if we have, which I mean likely would be, I mean, maybe what four games, I don't know, maybe four, let's say we have roughly four games remaining uh, before when the Champions League resumes, then I say go. I mean, go go in for the Champions League. I mean, go for both, frankly, and then just as usual, go all in for both. If there's still the majority of, I mean, majority eight, seven, eight, nine games to play, then then it becomes a little trickier. But I think the most realistic scenario is that there will be roughly like four games remaining in the Serie A when the Champions League resumes. In which case, I say, I mean, just. Go go all in for Serie A and go all in against Lyon. I mean, the, the way it is structured now is that Juventus will certainly see the Serie A season go into August. And, you know, and that's, this is why I'm – sorry, Danny. This is why I, yeah. I kind of think I don't see the Champions League starting until August because we're playing every four game days already. Yep. And it's not just us. It's Spain and England too. You know, the Bundesliga – had the benefit of an earlier start to their league. Um, and also like Chuck said, they have fewer games because they're an 18 team league. So they'll be finished much earlier, but there's not going to be space for a European no. competition in this fixture list. And nor will there be for Barcelona or Real Madrid or Atletico or any of the English teams. But really when it comes to this particular question, I just kind of look at the team culture, which for the last 10 years or so has been screw it, win everything. Like that's, I think that that's what they'll do. Juve does not have a history of sacrificing Serie A for European goals. 
that might change with Andrea Agnelli, but under, you know, previous iterations of his family, that wasn't, and, you know, you've seen AC Milan on the other end, you know, Ancelotti's Milan tossed away the Serie A season once or twice in order to focus on the Champions League. That's not in our nature. You know, the way that our culture is now, I, they're not going to, they're not going to look at the league as a ramp up. This is a thing that the team will want to win. Everyone will want to win. And I accidentally said will win, and I don't want to tempt the wrath of the whatever from high atop the thing. So I will knock on wood for that. But uh, you'll, get, you'll get Claudio Latito coming down and just raining oh, gosh. supreme over you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I really, I really kind of just want to take some revenge and trash Lazio in the, in the last head-to-head just to, just to watch him squirm in his chair. But yeah, I, I, I don't think that the, the way the team's culture sits now, that they consider that a choice. They're going to go for everything regardless of, of how things shake out. Yeah, I'm just looking at the schedule. I mean, it is just wild to think Juventus are going to go June 30th, July 4th, July 7th, July 11th, July 15th, July 20th, July 23rd. And then there's still three to-be-determined days, but you have to think they're within that same three, four-day interval. And then you've got the Lyon, the second leg against Lyon coming up, and it's just – it's a good thing Juventus has a manager who's got a really good reputation on rotating his players for such a short period of time. <laughs> the good thing is that we're definitely going to see some Daniele Rugani minutes, which is going to be a treat for everyone. Oh, yeah. He, he might still pan out. He might still pan out. We don't know that. <laughs> Do not right. know that. He's still young. He's like, I don't know, like 29 now? How old is Daniel Rugani? I have no idea, but I think he's been, he's going to pan out for like the last five years. My man. Daniele Rugani, 25 years old. Yeah. That is impossible. He's been in my life for the last like <laughs> years. He's the next one since like 2005. Like that is impossible. That is incorrect information. <laughs> You know, just, just as a <laughs> counterpoint, when we were talking about Raul Jimenez last week, and as you were talking about him, Sergio, I punched him up on, online just to see kind of what the latest talk about him was. I'm like, that is a man who does not look like he's about to turn 30 years old. Whatever genes he's got, he's got the genes. That, young 29. And also, the latest rumor, just in case you're all concerned about that, is a swap between Adrian Rabio and Daniel Rugani, the man himself, for Raul Jimenez, which if that is true, I will drive both Rabiot and Rugani to the airport myself. Like, let's do that right now. The 2,000-word article about Raul Jimenez will become 2,500 words within, uh, within a few, few more transfer rumors. Yeah, drive him, man. Drive him there. Bring, bring back our man, as they'll say in the Martian. I'll do it. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Speaking of transfer rumors, as we transition into our Twitter questions, we finally heard some talk about our old, our old buddy Sandro Tonali with Brescia's president coming out and saying that Barcelona 
has offered 65 million, but, but a couple prospects and he rejected it. And that Tonali's preference is Juventus or Inter. I believe Inter came first in that statement. So take that as you will. We'll go into our, our first Twitter question, which is about Tonali from at the true ROAC. It pains me to ask because I hate Inter with a passion, but if Inter landing Sandro Tonali may grant the future midfield of the national team plays together, and that's Sensi Barella and, and Tonali, would that be an acceptable trade-off for you? So basically, club versus national team. I don't know if the national team, if you could say that that would mean the national team midfield would be playing together because Sensi never plays anymore. He's always hurt. To me, I, I managed to compartmentalize the national team and, and club stuff. I, I really, I, I, I don't look at it that way. It would, it would be awful for Juventus if Tonali were to go to Inter. I mean, apart from just the talent that he's got, putting him under Conte would be a really, really difficult midfield to defend. That said, you know, would he, would he make up for the fact that all, a lot of signs are indicating that Lautaro Martinez is not going to be on Inter next year. I, I would not surprise me if he was on Barcelona. Acceptable trade-off. I don't know if ex- the word acceptable can really can really go there. It's it's more of a it's good. It, it would be a thing that is and cannot be avoided. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, I you know, I very much empathize with the uh, with the Azzurri, but at the end of the day, my allegiance is with Juventus, and in this case, no, it would not be an acceptable trade-off. No, not really. You know, I, I obviously want the Italian national team, uh, the Azzurri, to, to do well, to, you know, to win and just put on good displays. But, I mean, I'm not going to be like, oh, well, let's just let them go to Inter so that they can play together and so that Mancini and Coda so that they'll be okay in the Euros and the World Cup. Yeah, no, not, not that much of a charity. Yeah, I would agree. I, I don't really care that much about potentially Italy's midfield doing better because those three guys are playing together. The, the thing that's interesting to me is that valuation that was just thrown out there, 65 million euros. That seems like, a, I mean, at that point, I, I cannot imagine that was true, right? I mean, that has to be a negotiating tactic of like, oh, well, they did offer 65 million. Like who, I mean, I like Tonali. I think he's a great player. I think he's a great prospect. But he's also a guy who's, I mean, the stars at Brescia, who's really kind of like an unproven guy at that next level. If you're shelling out 65 million euros for a guy like that, then, you know, God bless your soul. But that's, that's a risky, risky bet. I, I can't imagine that either Inter or Juventus would go that high. I mean, if you're shelling out 65 million for that guy, at that point, just try to get of a relatively similar amount and you have a proven commodity so yeah i'm i'm guessing we're gonna hear a lot of rumors about that guy in the in the upcoming weeks i think the the regarding the issue of the price i think there'll be some flashbacks of marco veati there where people will be like yeah. oh you know he's at pescara yeah. and then uh, like oh we should have uh, shelled out money on it so i think there are going to be some you know some mild flashbacks on that so that might Barcelona, justify then going for that. Barcelona, for the record, have denied that they made that offer. So for Tonali or for for Tonali, no. yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, that registers. That that seems like yeah. that guy just kind of like 
trying to play a little bargaining right there. He, he did preface with saying that the bid, that supposed bid did come in pre-coronavirus when, you know, we actually thought spending a lot of money was, was possible. Although PSG just spent how many tens of millions for Sam Lepresti's best friend, Mario Riccardi. So thank you, PSG. <laughs> thank you, PSG. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Leonardo. You're, you're helping out. So speaking of which, Sam, I'll direct this next Twitter question for you because it references one of your favorite baseball teams. Loyal Twitter follower, I believe I'm saying it, uh, Bachi Sabi asked, uh, are Juventus the Atlanta Braves of the Champions League? And for, I believe, the two non-baseball fanatic people on this podcast, that essentially says, are Juventus the bridemaid and never the bride? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah when you ask. consider the fact that the Braves won 16 consecutive divisions championships in the 90s and 2000s yet only managed to win the world series in a strike shortened 1995 which if we were to win the champions league this year that parallel would hit home so much harder um by the way for those of you that don't know my father's from philadelphia i'm a phillies fan which is why danny made that that wonderful little crack because the braves are not well liked in my house uh, but um, you've got you've got a little bit of a peanut gallery chiming in there, Sam. Yeah, yeah, the peanut gallery. My wife, my wife was behind me, who is also a Phillies fan, who also does not like the Braves. Uh, <laughs> I mean, under stri- strictly, but strictly on what it looked like. I mean, yes, our I believe we do hold the record for most finals lost in Champions League history. So it's a decent, it's a decent analogy. It just. I just don't like it. I don't like it because I don't like the Braves and I don't like it because it means we've lost so many times in the Champions League final. But the analogy seems accurate. <laughs> it does. I would just like to point out for the record, I am a baseball fan. So, you know, just putting it out there. Ah. And I would like to point out wholeheartedly that I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so the baseball isn't big in the Netherlands or Chucks? It's about as big as watching crickets on a rainy Monday morning. <laughs> Dude, did, did, the, the Netherlands, my team, the Phillies, have a guy from, from the Netherlands who has been knighted. Yeah, probably the bloke that can make <laughs> it in football. <laughs> <laughs> Sir Didi Gregorius would like to see you after a little bit, Chucks. Come on. <laughs> yeah, get in line, mate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On, on that note, we'll, we'll wrap things up here. Once again, thank you all for listening and for sending in your Twitter questions. We have very much enjoyed answering them. I mean, they've been some really good ones. So keep, keep them, them coming, coming, people. Yeah, definitely. As always, you can subscribe to us, Apple Podcasts or iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Feel free to rate and write us a review if you'd so please. This will be one of the last podcasts we do before things get absolutely crazy. So if we sound stressed out as a fire truck goes whizzing past my, uh, my house here, if you want to enjoy the, uh, the relaxed laughing that we have before we uh, are running around like chickens with our heads cut off, trying to get every angle of Juventus covered, feel free. But for uh, Sam, for Chucks, and for Sergio, this is Danny once again saying, especially these days, stay safe, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye.